Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I am your host, Chuck Onoctane. This episode is sponsored by Lower Gentry Studios. Full disclosure, I'm part owner. Go to www.lowergentrystudios.com to check out our original content, which includes this podcast. It also includes a couple of original feature films, an original web series, and other materials, live musical performances that we recorded from Treasure Valley bands here on this podcast, which were super sweet. How is everybody doing? We're in quarantine day. I don't even know. It's been forever. All the days run together. People are outside doing yard work all days of the week, all hours of the day. It seems like that's the go-to. I've been watching my lawn very closely. It's not due for another trimming for, I don't know, at least another 15, 20 minutes. So when I'm done with this, I'll probably get the lawnmower started up again. You might hear lawnmowers running in the background. Sorry, the studio is inside of my house, and I can't quite block all the lawnmower noise. And people are really, really after their yards right now. I think they're trying to escape their families. I don't know. It's that loud humming noise and it blocks out all of the other periphery sound and families and children complaining, I'm guessing. I don't know. I live by myself. We're going to talk about isolation and I'm excited about that today because I am living that firsthand and I'm going to report on that. This is the nice time of the week when I get to record myself and share it with everybody rather than just have conversations with myself and no audience. Um, Why don't we just start by talking about what's going on in the Treasure Valley first, though. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on in the Treasure Valley? Crush the curve, Idaho. That's what's going on in Idaho, as well as in the Treasure Valley. I don't know if you all heard, but private companies are fed up with the ineptitude of governments. And so here in Idaho, some small companies, some bigger of the small companies here in Idaho have gotten together to uh, collect supplies enough to do a thousand tests a day. They're going to focus on essential workers and stop the spread for those people that are required to go into work. You can go to crushthecurveidaho.com or crushthecurve.com. I'm not quite sure the exact address, but they're they're taking some initiative because our state's looking to the feds, the feds looking to the states. Nobody knows who's in charge of any of this. There's a lot of blaming and finger pointing going on. And the media is really excited about it because all they have is disastrous news to report, which is their favorite. Coronavirus, closures, people dying, there's tornadoes in the south. It's like a news heyday. The only problem is, is their advertising has to have gone down because nobody's buying anything because we're all out of a job. All right. Anyway, um, I think that Apple and Google were listening to this podcast as well because they're part of this private enterprise figuring out what the hell to do next. Um, a couple podcasts ago, I suggested that Google and, and Apple track where we are and share that information. They're working on that. They are going to hopefully soon, I don't know the exact timetable on it, but they decided to share their their super valuable information, your information that they collect on you. They're going to share it together. And then that way, let's say you test positive for coronavirus, you can let them know, and they'll let everyone you know around you know. That was a lot of no's. Anyway, you tell Google, they will notify those that have been close to you if they might need to be tested or if they've been exposed to coronavirus, you know? I I wonder if they're ever going to do that with STDs. That would be a really awesome way to know if you've been exposed to gonorrhea. Just get a notification on your phone. 
with no exact timetable because they'd keep anonymity on that. That'd be an interesting thing. So we're having breakthroughs when it comes to uh, disease notification. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, anyway, that's a national one. But here in the state, crush the curve. Hopefully it goes pretty well. Hopefully we can get out of our houses here pretty quickly and hang out together. I guess we can go outside, but, you know, it's it's nice to go out to a bar every once in a while. Um, today I wanted to talk about, because it's getting more and more difficult to come up with topics, as the news is just kind of a repeat all the time, um, but I wanted to talk about isolation. I feel bad because I'm stuck at home all by myself. Our resident composer is working remotely and also stuck by himself. I wanted to try to find out some scientific information about the effects of isolation. However, there's a dearth of studies done on isolation, and it's because it's been found inhumane and unethical. There are a lot of case examples out there. Um, I can share some of that information with you. Um, Specific cases have shown that isolation leads to uh, an increase in anxiety, sometimes depression, sometimes hallucinations. The case studies of isolation that have been fairly well documented have to do with communists capturing U.S. and Canadian soldiers and then throwing them into isolation, they believe, to brainwash them into basically saying that democracy is a bad thing, communism is a good thing. So you can use, you can use isolation to make people feel so anxious when you remove them from that situation you can share, have positive human experiences with them about a certain agenda you want to give them, and they will begin to believe that. That's that's what psychologists think happens. The issue is they haven't been able to do any really good studies about isolation with a large swath of people because somebody did something that was deemed unethical in psychology, and this was back in the heyday. I mean, like 50s, 60s, 70s, psych studies were amazing because... I guess there wasn't a lot of oversight and people were just doing crazy stuff uh, with with college students mostly. This was a college student experiment as well. It was run by a guy named Donald Hebb. And Donald Hebb is actually a neurosurgeon that was very interested in how behavior equated into brain activity. And he was a brilliant, brilliant scientist. He came up with the, the Hebbian theory, which... A shortened version of the Hebbian theory is that cells that fire together wire together. And what happens when you have neurons inside of your brain, when one of them fires and it communicates to another neuron and then that one fires. The thing is, is they get more efficient over time if those neurons continue to fire in unison. And they think that that's how we learn is neurons fire They start to fire in unison more and more, and then things that we do become automatic, such as walking, running, riding a bike, something difficult at first, but but the neurons start to fire together to where we're not consciously processing the information and we're doing it automatically. So he he came up with that. But as a neurologist slash neurosurgeon, he was interested in what happened to people if they didn't have any stimulation. So his original hypotheses in this study that he tried to execute but wasn't able to started to 
open up that field of uh, the 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 baths those baths that you float in the sensory deprivation chambers. He he was the at the forefront of this. And what he did was he had a group of college students. He wanted to lock them up in a room for like six weeks. Okay. Tiny room with a bed. And he had put goggles on them. He put a uh, noise into the room, just like a light hum so that they didn't have a lot of auditory simulation. And then also he put uh, strange clothes on them that kind of blanketed them so that they wouldn't be able to feel very much either. So essentially, after a few hours of this, to some of the people made it a couple days, they started to go insane, and he had to stop the experiment. He initially wanted to see what happened to people's brains after six weeks, but a few days of this, they went insane. He tried to test them. He was into psychological testing as well, IQ testing, and they all seemed to be quote-unquote stupider when they left the lab. So unethical from that point forward. There just hasn't been a lot of studies to deal with uh, isolation. However, I was thinking about the idea of isolation and what produces anxiety in that situation. And I think I have a solution for any of you that are starting to feel anxious as a result of this extended isolation. And let me share that with you. If you are feeling anxious as a result of this isolation, you might need more oxytocin. If you're unfamiliar with oxytocin, it is a neurotransmitter and a hormone that your body naturally produces. All right, so a neurotransmitter is essentially a hormone that floats around in your brain, okay? Oxytocin is what some people, psychologists, call quote-unquote the love hormone. Um, What oxytocin is associated with is a feeling of well-being, essentially, lowered anxiety. And it is also used to facilitate childbirth. So when you have that feeling of being accepted by someone or that mutual feeling, that even that feeling of, of love, usually that's your body producing a huge amount of oxytocin and shooting it into your brain. And it's just anti-anxiety. So it doesn't usually occur in your brain. You don't normally have oxytocin in there. It's only when you're experiencing something positive with other people, physical contact. And I'm going to go over some of these things. Um, Oxytocin is naturally released during orgasm. So that's a good way to get some oxytocin going with for you. Uh, It's that it gives you that feeling of you wanting to just stay the night and cuddle and have breakfast the next day rather than make the excuse that you might have work to go to in the morning and duck out of there. So oxytocin is responsible for that. You can, besides actual like physical touch and sexual encounters, oxytocin is associated with gift giving. If you do vigorous exercise, that'll release oxytocin. Anything exhilarating will release oxytocin. Music, meditation. You can even have positive interactions on social media have been shown to release oxytocin. They think, okay? It's hard to track all this stuff exactly, but, you know, this is, this is just kind of a blunt idea. If you're feeling anxiety, I'm just trying to help you. You need some oxytocin, all right? If you don't have time for those difficult ones, you can stress eat. If you're very stressed, 
eat a bunch, that releases oxytocin, as well as smoking. They know that releases oxytocin. Ecstasy is a good one. So I'm not sure if all of you out there are aware. Ecstasy obviously is an, an illicit party drug, but you can get a prescription for ecstasy. It's called MDMA, and they give it to older people that are becoming shut-ins later on in life. Because when you take ecstasy, you want to interact with people and have those positive interactions with others. So it naturally produces that and you do a backwards association mentally so that you want to get involved in a group activity. So oxytocin is 99% of the time a really good thing. However, there, with any chemical that your body releases, too much of it can be a bad thing. You know, in the, in the example of males, when you have a lot of testosterone, you might be really buff and feel really strong and be very athletic. But at the same time, if you have too much of it, you, you turn into an asshole. Same thing with oxytocin. Too much of it, you turn into an asshole, essentially. Um, they, they believe that oxytocin is what is released when you become heavily associated with a group or a gang. And so on the flip side, if you have too much oxytocin associated incorrectly with I shouldn't say incorrectly, but if you have it associated with a group identity, then it can fuel prejudice. If you're deeply in love with someone, it fuels envy and aggression towards other people, um, as well as just general xenophobia. And sometimes it can diminish cooperation within, within groups of people. So just try to get a positive oxytocin hit, and you might feel a little bit less isolated and some more feelings of well-being. That's all I have for this week, but I think we should probably end with a joke from a hat. Take a joke from a hat when you read it, I'll bet that you make someone laugh. It's a joke from a hat. All right, let's pick a good one this week. This one is long. Okay. A helmet is like an overprotective mother equivalent to hats. Their number one concern is your safety. Their number two concern is if you ever went on another date with that nice piano instructor, and even though you keep telling your helmet that she just wasn't your type, everyone else you bring around is always being compared to the piano instructor your helmet met once. Like your helmet could even tell at a dinner where everyone was clearly uncomfortable, but you know you'll never hear an end to it. So you make up this whole story about how you started dating. Then the piano instructor dumped you because she thought that you were too close to your helmet. Then your helmet is like, am I a bad helmet? I just want what's best for you. And after what seems like an eternity of crying, you feel guilty and confess that you never seriously tried to date the piano instructor. You just wanted the subject dropped. That's when your helmet gives you this look that feels even more judgmental than the constant nagging about whom you're dating. So you decide not to ride your bike for a month in order to avoid your helmet in hopes the entire thing will be forgotten. And their third concern is impact velocity. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in this week. Be sure to go to www.treasurevalleypodcast.com to send me a message and let me know what you are up to. Also go to www.lowergentrystudios.com to check out some of our original content that was filmed here in the Treasure Valley. Stay happy, stay healthy, and take care. 